Boy, it's a great sound when you hear that music, even though it stresses me out a little bit because it means I got to get my audio cues down. But for everyone else, it means we're in for a treat because it's another week of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Running Aces, Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and of course, Website Amp. So thanks for joining us this week, Rec Poker Nation. I'm Jim Reed, your host, Bluffsterini in the home game. And as I'm a member of the Wrecking Crew, if you want to find out more about me, you can just go to rec.poker slash Jim and find out all sorts of great fun things about me. Um, I am not the only one here tonight. I just have the best job in the world. So every week I get to be joined by an illustrious panel of wizards uh, from Rec Poker Nation. Wizards, why don't you lead us off on a little introduction of who you are and how the wonderful folks at Rec Poker can reach you. Well, I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on PokerStars and Twitter. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. And uh, just like every week, we are playing against each other in the nightly rec poker home game on po uh, Play Money Poker Stars. And just like every week, we are going to take a look at a discussion post from the Rec.Poker forums. Some weeks, we get to have a little special guest join us, and this is one of those weeks, so I am very excited to introduce the brand new, brand spanking newest, most exciting member of the Wrecking Crew, the one and only Kim Kilroy, pet fed herself. Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. I don't know about the most exciting member, but <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, happy to be here. I'm really excited to be part of the Wrecking Crew and looking forward to starting some really good groups and getting into some good discussions. So I'm a pet vet on, uh, at Rec Poker. I'm Fergie 56 on the home game. And you can see here usually in the Tournament of Champions as well, in case that's where you're looking. Uh, you're going to find her around that final table pretty often as well. Thanks for joining us back to the show, Kim Petvet. So here we are. We've taken a look at a discussion post this week posted by our very own 5x5 Chris Jones. So Chris, why don't you take us through what made this spot interesting and why you decided to post it and what we can learn from it. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, we can look at this, I think mean, we're going to look at this specific spot, but I think the thing that I've noticed is a trend, especially in these really big uh, online rebuy tournaments, um, to see people um, overbetting spots, you know, 2x, 3x, 4x, even 5x shoves, um, and, and in spots to put you in really tricky decisions. Um, and um, you know, especially when it's rebuy period, I think people are trying to sort of like run up stacks and, uh, you know, let's, let's just build this thing or I'll just rebuy. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always curious about what our approach is. Do we take some high variance calls, uh, with some sort of decent holdings, but not nutted holdings and how do we approach these kinds of situations? So that's sort of the general framework, but, um, should I run through the hand or is that, do we want to talk yeah. about that well is there anything i mean we could talk a little bit at first about what we see when people make these overbets typically or is there like a theory behind the overbets that we think people are using either correctly or incorrectly well so what i see uh post flop i think people are doing this with um uh, certain types of holdings either high equity draws or sort of like 
hands that they uh, the, that they were very excited about pre-flop that then started to get a little bit scary. So they have kings or queens, and there's an ace on the flop, or it's a monotone flop, or it's a you know. So like it, they're these sort of like. Well, I was supposed to. Th- I'm supposed to win this hand, aren't I? So I'm just going to shove. Um, so those are the types. Of, and then pre-flop, I've been seeing people do this. I think they do it a ton with ace queen. That's mm. that's what I have been like pre-flop. I I see these massive overshot shoves, and I've been calling some of them down. And I see ace queen a lot because <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a weird hand to pick for that because it's one of those spots where you're you're really over bets you're really contorting your opponent's ranges so they're only continuing with very strong ranges so to choose a hand like ace queen feels like an odd choice i think it's people uh, honestly i think it's people but there's the there's the incentive to build up your stack but i think there's also a uh i think there's some players who maybe aren't as confident post-flop or aren't as so they've run into trouble with hands like that before Mm. and so they're like well and jacks is the other one jacks and ace queen i think do this and i think uh um you know they're kind of like "Ah, to heck with it let's just let's just get it in and so chris can i ask a quick question are you seeing the same trend after the rebuys over or not as much i don't see it as I'd be curious what others are seeing, but I, I don't see it as much. Um, so I, I feel like that is something to maybe pay attention to. And maybe we can call a little looser in the rebuy period, um, knowing that people may be doing this, you know, without, you know, I, 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 I have yet to come across somebody who does this with like aces. Mm. So I think, um, I think we can we can discard hands that are like truly nutted when this kind of like thing happens. Yeah. I, I see, saw something similar in one of the latest forum posts with people going all in pre-flop and for massive amounts while the rebuy was on. Mm-hmm. So just or trying to like or when the rebuy period is ending, maybe trying yep. to double up or yep. Yep. But but with like 30, 40, 50 big blinds. So, mm-hmm. but you don't yeah, see not, it no, after. Not not normally a re, uh, shove stack. Mm. 30, 40 big blinds is not normally a shove stack, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that end, of, that end of the rebuy period is kind of its own dynamic. Like that's definitely a gambly time. And uh, it would be interesting. Uh, I, I haven't done any study on this at all, but it would be interesting to see what the actual right decision is in some of those spots where you do have a chance to double up your stack or just, I mean, essentially enter another tournament. So I guess it doesn't really matter that much, but the psychology of it is such that people are more likely to get it in. And because people are more likely to get it in light, you're kind of also incentivized to get in there a little lighter yourself, right? Because your equity increases with those hands. And I think also the other thing is that we find ourselves in these spots where like the math probably sort of works out like we're probably have enough equity to call in these spots. Even if we're behind, there's often spots where I think this hand we're going to look at, you know, where, where we're going to have the right math mm. to probably call, but does that make it the, I mean, do we really want to be putting in 50, 60 big blinds on a flip in a tournament where we think we might have, you know, we might have some skill edge or maybe not, you know, like well, how do we make this? Do we just go with the math and say, well, I've got, I'm 55% here, or I'm even, you know, like I, I need, you know, 40% here to call and I'm, I'm getting 
30, you know, whatever. Like, uh, how do we, do we equate it when it gets to this massive thing where we're still know that we're going into probably this situation where we're probably in a big flip or something like that. I, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of the big questions I, that go through my mind when I'm in these spots. Yeah. And usually you're not going to win a lot of poker tournaments calling all ins, right? Like that's just not the the best way to get your blast chip in the middle. Right. Um, so it is its own kind of, it is its own kind of area of study. Was this a, a knockout tournament? No. Mm, okay. Great point though, John. Well, because that does make it a little bit of a difference. There is some value into trying to maintain a larger than average stack in a knockout tournament so that you have the ability to knock someone out when they go all in. Mm. Um, and it yeah, gives but, you a, and you can call a little bit wider, too, because that's extra equity. Yeah, I think that's also a good point, though. I think that the 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 growth of knockout tournaments, I, I, I think we can talk about this, but I think that has started to influence people the way people play in regular tournaments. Mm. Now people are trying these out and hearing like, uh, you got to shove looser. You got to, you know, you got to build up your stack. You can call lighter because you know, you, you're not only playing for chips, but you're playing for those bounties. So I think that there's, there's this incentive to do that, but I think people are maybe like saying, well, that's kind of fun. I like getting my chips in the middle. So, and sort of adopting that lesson into sort of even some of their regular tournaments too. So was that was that Jim Reed? That's, how, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's what I was like. thinking. Yeah, <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is there is kind of that similar. It's actually it's kind of a similar dynamic, isn't it? Um, near the end of the rebuy period, where people feel like, well, it's just like I have this excuse to get in a little lighter here, um, and that is kind of similar of those uh, uh, knockout tournaments, those bounty tournaments as well. So let's, let's. I've, I've been playing a lot of sit and goes lately, and I played in one the other day that it would happen to be twice where oh, yeah. on the flop, I got a massive overbet. Mm-hmm. When I, when I had, you know, I had, I had the goods and I'm betting out my normal C bet, and I get just like eight times my bet over the top. And on a board that I, I don't understand what they could possibly have. Mm. I was totally confused. Yep. So let's yeah, take no. that. That's the segue I'm looking for, Rob, because uh, uh, the the overbets preflop are one thing, um, but I think the dynamics totally different. The factors are different. Uh, we're going to look at a hand here where the overbet is postflop, and I think people think about that in in almost in a more like in a binary way. These tend to be. Uh, well, we talked about it before. For me, you can write this down, everybody. Um, I, I don't. Uh, for me, these are almost always going to be um, low showdown value, high equity draws, where I don't really care if you fold or not. I don't really care if you know what my hand is or not. If you're, if the only way to exploit me is by calling with a made hand that I'm doing pretty well against, uh, that's a good kind of exploit that I'm going to make you want to take. But um, I'm very interested to see what other people think about these overbets post-flop and that kind of thing. So I can walk us through the hand uh, really quickly. Uh, so uh, I, in some some respects, I kind of wish I uh, would have found, because I have lots of examples of this. And the one I posted is, is a multi-way spot. And I think it just complicates, muddies the water, because I think I see this in heads up as well. But um, we'll go with what we've got. So uh, this is a hand we're playing. Um, we're uh, at the one. It's at the one fifty three hundred level, um, and we're sitting with a stack of uh, twenty three thousand 
uh, so so fairly deep stacked um, in the uh, small blind, and we are holding nine of spades, nine of hearts, um, and so um, the under the gun one player opens three uh, x to nine hundred. Um, the uh, uh, let's see, under the gun three um, then calls for nine hundred. And um, this is a spot where um, we could uh, probably squeeze quite quite nicely with our nines. Um, looking back, I kind of wish I would have, um, but I didn't. So I, I flatted, um, and I think that's probably a mistake. Uh, ultimately, uh, without some sort of a read on the players, it allows the big blind to come along. Um, but... Um, we wouldn't have been in this spot if we had played it perfectly. So uh, we'll skip that part and we'll move on to uh, the big blind does come along. So we're going four way to a flop uh, with our nine of spades, nine of hearts. Um, and the flop comes 10 of diamonds, 10 of spades, eight of diamonds. Um, we, uh, with our uh, pair of nines, uh, we check uh, the big blind checks, the, uh, um, under the gun, one player bets small, bets about 2,000 um, into this uh, pot. Um, the uh, second player folds, and then uh, we elect with our nines to flat. And this is where the uh, player behind us, the big blind, wakes up and shoves all in for about 20K. And for the listeners, so the original Razor C-bet, you called... And then the uh, big blind player makes this uh, overbet shove uh, check raise. Okay, and, and the, the board's C-bet ten ten eight. Exactly half pot. The C-bet was exactly half pot, according <laughs> to Kim. Hit, I hit wanted to button. bring that up. Hit, hit the button. Hit the button. Just hit the button. Half pot. <laughs> so easy to do, Kim. All you do is hit the button. <laughs> uh, so what's what's everyone thinking at this point? So let's let's put ourselves in Chris's shoes. Um, so. This big blind has Did check raise. It, uh, yeah, ten of diamonds, ten of spades, eight of diamonds. So there's two okay. diamonds and there's two tens. Um, is there anything that we can just reject out of hand from their hand right here? Like, if I had quad tens, I would not over bet jam here. I don't think. Uh, what about what about other other combos? What about just naked tens? Uh, or what pocket eights can we can we can we lop off kind of the top of their range here when they make this uh when they make this overbet shove what do you think i think it's reasonable to yeah. lop those off i think that very very few players would ever make that overbet mm-hmm. with either so yeah of those hands and the problem is on these on this board like 10 10 8 if we're saying well they don't have a 10 and they don't have pocket eights so then what what do they have <laughs> is this so it's got to be something like i don't know i mean like i guess for me again i think it's some some draw so two diamonds or there is you know there's some straight draws there there's some over cards um what what, what does the panel think from when it comes to those combos would you play those can, combos I, this way i could see some like jack ten of hearts kind of doing this mm-hmm. so they have the 10 they don't have any spades they don't have any diamonds and they're just they don't want to see any more cards so i can see that happening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'd be tempted to do it with like 
Jack Queen of Diamonds or Nine Jack of Diamonds, maybe those would be some obvious ones for me where I felt like I had a lot of outs, but wasn't going to win the hand without making the nuts or, or everybody folding. Would about, you really do it? Yeah, would you I mean, I would. I, I, I probably <laughs> would because I have a problem. But. <laughs> okay, right. You like going all in. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a nice pot by then. By the time that C-bet gets called by Chris, yeah. I mean, it's a, there's a pretty big pot. And if I feel yeah. like, I mean. The pot has 26.3 big blinds in it. Right. Yeah. So that's that's when substantial. Yeah. 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 So I Do don't you know. Think we can ever see jacks here. I was thinking about like an overpair was the next thing I wanted to ask about because it's got a lot to gain from protection, right? It does. And it's and it's still gonna get. I mean, does it get called from behind? Does it get called by worse? I guess we're not saying it has to be a good value bet. <laughs> we're just saying, does it? Well, and it. It's also got to be so like you have to get to Jack's here in a four-way pot, and you close the action. Yeah, blind. Yeah, that's true. Now, granted, I flatted with nine, so uh, I mean, some players might, but um, I, I think if I had Jack's in a big blind here, I, I think most players are going to three bet. But I mean, I think some players could end up with Jack's here, and then and then be like, this board's scary mm -hmm. but then with two callers i i don't know i it would just be I, I think you're just you're spewing chips but it doesn't mean players won't do it so i right. maybe maybe they can have jacks i guess the nice thing about having a jack or a nine in your hand is that you're blocking the combos of tens that your villain mm -hmm. could have i mean by the time it goes bet call here uh you know the, the other people on the hand are showing some strength so being able to make it less likely that they have a 10 increases the odds of that being, you know, dead money in the middle. Yeah. The, the funny thing is Chris is really blocking the tens with his nines. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. there, maybe Jack tens are out there, but nine tens, are, no, there's no nine tens out there anymore. Cause he's got two yep. of the nine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which is too bad because it means you're also blocking some of those straight yep. draws that we wanted him to be shoving. Um, so yeah, so that's interesting. And the other night, I mean, the other thing about my hand is I do not have the nine of diamonds. Mm. So, um, it's, it's, if we're gonna, if we're gonna like say that this is a lot of high equity draws in this spot, which I think is a very reason. I mean, I think there, there are maybe a few over pairs like Jack's. There's maybe a few things like there's a few tens in, in range, but I think we're, we're, we're pretty close in saying this is a lot of high equity draws. This is a lot of like, you know, Jack nines, nine sevens of diamonds, um, you know, two diamonds with, with some, at least some gut shot available to it as well. Um, possibly the, the, you know, the, the great combo draws that have the, the open ender and the, and the diamonds. Um, the ace. Yeah. yeah not, not diamond or, or not diamonds. Yeah. Those might be there as well. And, you know, if we if we look at it specifically, and this is where I think the decision gets really challenging. When when we look at those kinds of hands against pocket nines, we're really in like full on coin flip range. Like we're 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 about a 50-50 coin flip if you run the equity on nines versus say all those diamond things. If we take out um things like, you know, full houses and tens, we're really at a and we only need 
we only need like 40% to call here. Like we're, we're getting the right, we're getting the right odds to call. Uh, so, but does that mean we should? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really interesting because it's this spot where, and, and we've talked about this before the, uh, the paired board kind of changes the dynamic a bit here, but if um, in a lot of situations, if, if you are, if you have two overcards to the board and a flush draw, um, you're actually ahead of a, of a lot of one pair hands on that board. Um, so by the time, by the time the equity gets realized, if you, if you get all the way to showdown uh, more than half the time, the player with a very strong draw is actually going to win that hand. It's a little complicated with the paired board. And it's also complicated when your opponent's holding a, a pocket pair like Chris is here, but and the equities on that these two hands they're 52 48 so really a coin flip virtually yeah so and, so and so then the question is you know how do you do you want to embrace this this variance i guess in this in this part of the tournament mm-hmm. right you certainly yeah, that, have the right odds to call right so then does that mean we just like we just do we just embrace the variance and just is that is that what we're i mean like cuz like you know, I'm a, I'm a math guy, but then I, it just somehow it feels wrong. It feels like, am I really supposed to be putting in, you know, what is this? This is a shove for 20. So this is like a, this is like a 60 big blind shove. Mm. Mm. Am, I, am I doing That's about right. Right. It's like, it's a little less. It's like 58 big blinds. So we yeah, just embrace that variance and just and be like, well, we're going to win this enough time to justify making this call. So is, let's go. Is there anything? Is there anything we can do to to range this player in a way that makes it an easier decision one way or the other? Like we've we've already said they don't have the strongest hands. Do we think they're doing yeah. it with like any air balls, like with no equity at all? Is are we, we really? Any- do we have any stats? Do we have any stats on this guy? I mean, are you running this your player, uh This player was uh, definitely uh, aggressive, like l- looser than than I think I would recommend. You know, they were probably v pipping something. If I remember, it was in the thirty some oh, yeah, percent. That's so it was it was low thirties though, not like not like ridiculous, but it was it was high. Um, and so they're somebody who gets into pots and probably, you know, can't resist, you know, being, and they, they had, uh, <laughs> you don't have to just really call me out by name, will, Chris. Jeez. Like, there, are, there are some like certain giveaways with the, like, the icon that you choose, uh, <laughs> in your, in, on ACR. Cause you could choose different like characters or whatever. And, uh, I find that the people who have, um, some of the, like, that you know if some of our audience has this great you're doing great but like if they choose the rock you know the 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 actor the rock as their as their um persona like i feel like those players are more likely to shove light yeah they're not actually rocks <laughs> yeah yeah so so did i ask you if you have that person to your left and you have those stats on them would that be more of a reason to three bet preflop mm. probably yes. yeah just yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at those stats, but yeah, no, I would ask for what you're asking. I would say you have to look at what the buy-in was of this tournament, whether you're willing to rebuy and then uh, decide whether it's a time to take on the variance or not. So, 
Yep. And nice. I, personally, I just fold. <laughs> <laughs> You're turning down I mean, a small edge, Rob, because you want to find a better spot later in the tournament? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Well, uh, he actually studies Tommy Angelo, so that's, yes. you know, his yep, Exactly. Model. That's true. Fold so you can come back and fold again. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, that's it. Uh, I guess it. One, one question I'd have is how it, how skilled are you at playing the big stack? Because mm. if uh, mm. there are players who wield a big stack like a hammer, you know, and just clobber the competition. So if that is your style of play, then your overall EV may be dramatically higher if you have a big stack and that's one of your strengths. Um, if it's not, then, you know, you probably want to play a little bit more, or not embrace the variance as much. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And the thing about this post that really interested me is that we are putting this opponent on a pretty predictable range here. So we're saying they're not doing it with the nuts. They're not doing it with like middle range holdings either it's it's a lot of draws which means that their showdown value is zero um and it's a great example of how you can have a predictable range that is nevertheless very difficult to play against right. like uh, there's no there's no possible way that this person shows up with like ace eight right there's no like can you imagine a world where they show up with a single eight I mean, it, I can't imagine a world mm. where that seems like a good decision. It doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But I don't know. Did, the are you who, who's the problem is the calling range, right? Like that's the real problem is that the calling range to this play is so tight that you only like I don't know. This is this is <laughs> this is one. This is why it's a good. This is why it's a good spot, Chris. What what are the value hands? Okay, let's think about this this way then. What are the value hands that you're making this play with? And we can, I mean, as the, the draw, shover, as the shover, yeah, as the shover. I mean, I think Kim's right. I think it is. It's a few combos of some random tens that are kind of scared of this yep. board, so they're like jack ten with without any kind of uh, future flush equity. It could it all is... be Jack 10, Queen 10, King 10, Ace 10 of hearts specifically yep. that mm -hmm. don't have that or clubs. No, yeah, clubs, yeah. Clubs are hearts, so they don't have any backdoor no back flush draws. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, personally, just... if, I have, if I have Jack 10 on this board, I, I'm, I'm kind of thrilled to get a little bit more value than <laughs> show 60 big blinds into the middle mm -hmm. but um because i've seen two people bet into this you know i feel like boy i this is I, i'm not sure the best way to do this is to take these people who are mildly interested in this pot and, <laughs> and tell them to go away but some people do kind of play a little bit more scared of this so it, it's possible you'd be surprised how many people play like that yeah over yeah. bets uh, right when they're ha they've hit the board, but they're afraid of giving anybody any more cards. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, that's seen, like yeah. I've seen somebody flop a full house and then go all in because they just want to end it right now. They don't want it. They don't want anything to happen. And it's like, <laughs> oh, 
wow, you're not getting any value at all because everybody knows that you're you've got yeah. the the stone cold nuts. So take the money and run. Right, exactly. right, right, right. Exactly. Well, at one so time in 1973, they got sucked out on their full house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Hmm. Well, let's see if our friend uh, Jonathan Little has any insight to lend uh, on this particular subject, and then we'll come right back and get back into this. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. I'd do it, folks. I'd go there right now and do it. He sounds like he's getting angry, and you do not want to see Jonathan Little when he's upset. So, yes, I, I feel like I feel like I don't know. I, it feels like calling is the right. Like I, I'm with you, Chris. I feel like you kind of have to trust the math. Like when the math tells you that there's an edge here, you should have a reason. You should have a good reason not to do it. Right. And. You know, your tournament life is a good reason if you have a skill edge to express later in the tournament. So, like, that makes sense to me. Or if you're in, like, uh, if you've, you know, you're in a once in a lifetime, you're going in the main event, you've satellited into something that you'll never rebuy yourself into, you know, them, them preserving tournament life is, you know, this, I, this was a, I think a $15 ACR tournament that, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll, buy another one if i if i miss this and i you know i so i did end up calling because i'm just i'm also kind of curious about these spots sure. like yeah. i just i am a part of it was scientific like what am i going to find here am i ever going to find extreme value and if i ever start seeing people having extreme value it might start to change my play but i did call spoiler how'd it go um uh, I ended up winning. He did. He showed nine, seven of diamonds. So he had oh, that, yeah. that, you know, super combo, um, draw and straight flush um, draw. Yep, straight flush draw. In fact, mm. um, and, uh, run out came, uh, four clubs, queen of hearts, which is there good go. for nines. <laughs> good for him. <laughs> yeah. You were even blocking that straight flush draw and he still yep. had it. Still uh, had it. that's amazing. Yeah. Good point. So this time you won next time you won't and you right. know, it'll go back and forth. Right. But I think it's really important what we were saying about the buy-in level. Like mm -hmm. if you're in a, even if, if you're in a $1,500 live event with 45 minute blind levels or hour blind levels, you're not going to probably take a marginal spot like this. Mm. Right. Right. So. Mm-hmm. So we got some good comments in. I want to draw attention to uh, Tron Vidar Stensby, who put some uh, thoughts in here about how it kind of caps their range of the opponent. And uh, Tron Vidar also prefers the uh, three-bet preflop, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, Steve Fredland has a couple of comments in here about how the uh, overbet shoves um, tend to be pretty obvious draws to him. And I would say to you, Steve, even when it's pretty obvious, that doesn't make it easy to play against, though, does it, as we've just pointed out here. So um, Phil Fuhrer, 
Uh, Eric Anderson also made some great comments in here. And I encourage everyone, uh, we, we kind of go browse the forum post to bring some of the points here uh, on the air, but go to rec.poker, get a free community account, go over and check out the forum post for yourself. The name of this forum post is Massive Overbet Shoves. And on that note, uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on Massive Overbet Shoves? One of these days, we're going to do uh, another episode on micro bets because we talked about that in one of our first episodes. And it's it's a really interesting corollary to this uh, strat chat here that we've just had. So maybe one of these days soon, we'll talk about micro bets. But in the meantime, I would like to thank Chris Jones, Kim, John, Rob, Website Amp, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and of course, Steve Fredland and the rest of Rec Poker Nation. Yes, sir.